Iowa Soybean Association is driven to deliver for Iowa's 40,000 soybean farmers. We're proud to provide objective agronomic research, a helping hand with soil and water stewardship, and timely industry news powered by the Soybean Checkoff. Learn more at IASoybeans.com. Hey everybody, it's Paul Yeager. This is the MTOM Show Podcast, a production of Iowa PBS and the Market to Market TV show. Today we are going to talk about the greatest county in all of Iowa and maybe all across the land. Buchanan County. Spoiler alert, that's where I'm from. Uh, no bias at all. Uh, we're, I'm grew up on the west side. Trish Cook lives on the east side of the county and she is this year's Iowa Pork Producers Association president. Big deal. She's the first woman to hold this role. But that's not a big deal if you ask her. We're going to talk about women in agriculture briefly, but we'll also talk about policy uh, when it comes to trade and a big trip she's taking, uh, roles or issues that are coming down and what her role will be as president as those shake out. We also set a little bit of her agenda for the coming year. New episodes come out each and every Tuesday. If you have any feedback for me, hit me up at paul.yeager at iowapbs.org. Now let's go to Trish Cook. When it's two or four degrees, do you rock, paper, scissors to see who goes out and does chores? Well, for the most part, that is the role of other people on our farm. So luckily I don't have to do rock, paper, scissors. But you certainly know and remember those mornings. Yes, I certainly do. Going out when it's dark and cold and taking care of animals. The, the pig, though, is one of those animals that it's only in those 1930s and 40s storybooks where they're outdoors. I mean, they've been indoors for a while. Yeah, they have. And, you know, it's, it's great that they are the climate-controlled environment that they have. They don't know that it's zero degrees outside. And when she'll have whatever it is, they're very comfortable in their barns. They've got all the food and water they want. And they're happy. What is your earliest pig memory? Well, I grew up on a diversified farm like most people did back in the 70s. And I, the thing that kind of makes me laugh is when dad would holler in the house, the pigs are out. And then I had seven siblings and we'd all go out no matter how big or little you were. And you'd help stand some ground to make sure the pigs kind of got back to where they needed to be. So, yeah, that's back when the hogs were in outside lots. I didn't think the pigs ever got out. I thought that was just the cow's job to get out. Yeah, the cattle got out, too. I was much less afraid of the pigs than the, the cattle. You had to be a little bit bigger kid to come out of the house to help with those. So, so you have memories of, of penning back in the animals. Um, what point did you decide that this was something you wanted to do full time? Well, it really wasn't until I'd actually started my career after college and we started our family. My husband farmed right away after college with his dad and his uncle and his grandfather, and that was always his dream to be able, able to farm. And my career path was I studied accounting, and I wanted to go work somewhere and, and, and do that. And we'd had our third child. Life gets a little busy when I was driving to Cedar Rapids, which is about 25 miles, and his work was here. And our farm was growing. It just kind of was a good opportunity for me to transition from working full-time off-farm to, at that point, just kind of part-time on-farm and raising our family. Yeah, when you get outside of the man-to-man uh, -man defense and have to switch to zone, it, it changes, right? Yes, it does, yeah. So accounting and the, the business side has always kind of been of interest. Was it always agricultural business that was of interest to you? No, I, I did not work in agricultural business until I came back to our farm. I worked for like a large 
avionics and communication company where I did financial planning and analysis. What is the correlation between a large company and a small farm that turns medium or large? Yeah, you know, I did a lot of forecasting of cash flows and things at that job. So I brought that with me to this because um, it's just you always kind of got to know not just where you're at, but where you're going and what's the roadmap to get there. So that's been a great tool that I've been able to bring to our farm. So at what point, Trish, did you decide, I want to get into policy and boards and and start serving that way? Yeah, we had been involved with our county level organization of pork producers basically since we got married. I moved about 20 miles from where I grew up, but it was a different school district, different town. So I didn't really know a lot of people. My husband was from here. So it was a great way for us to get to know people in our community, people who were had similar interests that were farmers. And some of the people we met our first year on our local pork board are our very best friends today. So that's just really kind of a fun, fun story. But um, yeah, so that's what's kind of sparked my interest in the pork industry. And then kind of the more you do, sometimes the more you want to do or the more people ask you to do. And I just tend to, I like to be involved. I don't just want to be a member by name only in something. I like to, to, to dig in and, you know, do things. So when you came into Buchanan County, I left Buchanan County. So we're the one for one trade. Yeah, there we go. Does that work out? Uh, when you're at these meetings and you're looking around the rooms, who's in those rooms? Who are these people that are on these boards? You know, the hard part about being on a board when you're a farmer is you need somebody at home taking care of the animals because they need attention every day. So. Well, a lot of people want to serve in that role. Not everybody has the time to do that or the, the support system back at home to get that done. So there is a lot of variety on the board. Now we've got people in their 20s. We have people who are retired. We've got men and women. We've got quite a bit of, of you know, interesting backgrounds for everybody. And, and that makes the discussions fun. It does, because because not every farm... Actually, there's really no two farms that are organized exactly the same. We all have a common goal and a common interest, but they're all very different in how the makeup of them are. In in more ways than one, we will talk in our office about your neighbor isn't necessarily your competitor because they are in a different situation of what they're trying to grow or produce. But it also gets down to what's their financial situation. They might be more leveraged than you are. They might be more cash everybody's different. That's right. Everybody's different. And all I ever really know is what our situation is. So, <laughs> At what point did the state uh, interest come? I had gotten involved with some, um, the, the state had like, they called it like a leaders program. So they invited people to apply who were interested in maybe getting more involved on state committees or state boards. And that was a very good learning. It was like a year. You did some work with public policy. You visited the state house in Iowa, talked about issues at the state level. We went to Washington, D.C., talked about issues at the federal level that affected pork. Just talked to, has had a lot of speakers come in about in the industry. So from there, I kind of was like, oh, yeah, this is something I'm really interested in. And I joined a promotions committee, which the, the State um, Association for Iowa Pork has a large number of committees where producers can be involved in and it doesn't take, you know, it's not like a full-time job or a board meeting once a month. Sometimes it's once or twice a year, but it's great 
to have the input of producers from all across the state. So I did promotions committee for six years, and then the nominating committee asked me if I would put my name on the ballot to run for the region that I live in. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds like something I'd be interested in. So that was... This is my fifth year on the board, so. Oh, yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna say somewhere in that five to ten year range is how long you've been involved at, at this level. So, what have been the biggest issues in the in this time, up to this point? Well, every um, day there seems to be something maybe different that pops up, and I wouldn't always call everything issues. But um, you know, we're always concerned about animal health. For an animal disease is top of mind for every pig producer in the United States in the world trying to keep African swine fever, which has really decimated the hog industry in China and in uh, Eastern Europe. Um, it's been in North America and the Dominican Republic. So we're just really trying to be diligent supporting state initiatives and federal initiatives for biosecurity. Um, I'm sure you've heard of the Beagle Brigade, but I don't know if a lot of your listeners have, but it's um, you know, these beagles that are trained to sniff out meat in, in ports of entry to the United States, a lot of them are airports. And so there's a handler in this really nice beagle and he's just walking around sniffing. And if he stops by you, you've got something in your bag that he wants his handler to investigate. And they've really been able to find a lot of meat that has been coming into the U.S. And it's not all with ill intent. People just maybe bring a sandwich or something um, but we don't want that meat to come into the United States because it's not coming through proper channels. And so where are these beagles at? Is this U.S. airports or other foreign airports? They are definitely at U.S. airports. Um, Customs and Border Patrol work with them, and they're trained, I believe, in in Puerto Rico. But um, I've heard of some some folks. I, I There are a lot of times, obviously, international airports because that's the concern. It's it's me coming in from outside the United States. But yeah, the Beagle Brigade, and, and we've really worked to try and get funding for them over the years when we do our fly-ins twice a year to Washington, D.C. That's we're, Now we're saying thank you because the funding has, has gotten to where it needs to be. So um, and, and a lot of people have probably seen these Beagles at the airport and don't know what they're sniffing for, but the Beagles specifically are sniffing for meat products. Well, I always think at the airport, I, I get a little, huh, no matter what, when I see the German Shepherd walking along, I suppose a beagle kind of puts you at ease when you see that beagle going through. Yeah, and kind of an interesting tidbit about them is all these beagles are actually rescue animals. So they've been brought from shelters, but they chose beagles just because they tend to be, like you said, they're not an intimidating animal. So they, they work well. I like the idea of production, uh, I'm not saying production, but the Beagle Brigade, it reminds me of, uh, when you talk about issues that have happened in the last five years, I think of the Iowa, uh, the World Pork Expo has been canceled for a couple of reasons. African swine fever was one of them. There was concerns of, of, of bringing some type of illness from foreign visitors, domestic, domestic. Those shows, that's a tough decision that had to be made uh, at that time because you're there to promote the industry, but you're also trying to keep the industry safe. I guess I'm not asking you to re relive those discussions, but you understood the gravity of them at the time, right? Yeah, those were really important. And, and the Pork Expo is actually put on by the National Pork Producers Council. And we did have members from Iowa on the council, and they, they also serve as members as, as the, on the board of Iowa Pork. And so I do remember being in meetings where they had the, those discussions. And a big part of that was at the time of Pork Expo, they also would have a live youth show. 
And now those are separate events at separate locations. So those live animals are not um, on the state fairgrounds at the same time as all the international visitors for Expo. Yeah, right. And I do know the groups are separate, but it's still, it's an overall issue that the industry, that you have to probably answer questions from producers that you know who can personally text you and say, Trish, what's the deal? And you have to kind of, even though you don't really know, you have to, you have to find out. Yeah, I think, you know, with ASF, when that was coming around, there's still a lot of unknowns with it. But in many ways, it parallels with COVID and in human health and that people didn't really know, were unsure and just took very cautious steps. Mm -hmm. Statewide uh, in Iowa, what do you see as, uh, again, I keep using the word issue, but are what are topics of discussion right now that you're going to have uh, during your year as president? Yeah, something that is kind of exciting because we're seeing progress is at Iowa State University, the vet diagnostic lab. If anyone's been in Ames along Highway 30, you've seen the construction going on there for phase one, and they hope to move in there this fall. So the whole time there's been two phases of this project. Phase two is upwards of $60 million. And a really exciting announcement came from the governor recently that she was going to give $40 million from some funds that they Iowa got from the American Rescue Plan Fund. So that is a great, great jump start to the 60-some million that is needed for the VDL. And then the ask is going to be to the legislature for to ask for $20 million from the infrastructure fund. So that is going to be really important for Iowa State. Um, so many samples go through that lab, not just in Iowa and not just swine. It's They really have proved their value in so many ways, like quick turnaround times for testing. And it's really exciting for them to be almost into their phase one. And then if we can get phase two off the ground, that's been a, I know it's a big ask and it's a lot of money, but we, we really believe it's worth it. Don't we know already everything about the, the animal? <laughs> uh, we wish. The, the quick turn on diagnostic uh, issues, I would imagine time is always so critical in issues like that. Is that one of the biggest factors in the importance for having this expansion? Yeah, I think, you know, bandwidth to be able to do enough testing in your, and, and turnaround is important too, because if, if um, a foreign animal disease comes our way, we have to know as fast as we can. And so while veterinarians might be able to, you know, to look at an animal and use their best knowledge of what it's going to be, a lot of the time the only way to know for sure what it is is through, through testing, through samples. What else is on that to-do list for the year? Yeah, well, continuing with the topic of foreign animal disease, um, Secretary Nag has asked for additional funding for just assistance in in pre preparing in the event of a foreign animal disease. So it's it's overwhelming sometimes to think about if a disease like that hits hits North America. I mean it's hit North America and the Dominican Republic, but if it hits, you know, the United States of America or even Mexico and Canada, because we all have a lot of pigs with borders with pigs crossing back and forth every day. So um, we just really need to continue to be diligent with our biosecurity practices for foreign animal disease. We're only as strong as our weakest link, and it's really top of mind for all producers right now. So, and I'm going to guess that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Um, well, I was just, you can finish this topic, and then I have one other thing that we're asking for. All right, go ahead. Um, at the federal level, this is where the 
public policy and trade is so important. We support uh, the National Pork Producers Council is the organization with pork that works with our elected officials at the federal level and just continuing to, you know, free trade agreements are so important for the pork industry. And the more we can get, the stronger our export business will be. You knew that's what I was going to ask because that's I, I do like talking trade, and I'm always fascinated by markets and uh, uh, whether it's soybeans or corn. I know they take foreign trips even at the state level. You have a foreign trip coming soon. Why Japan? Uh, so the Iowa Department back about sorry tongue twister. The Iowa Department of Economic Development is organizing this trade mission to um, Japan and to South Korea, and for me as a pork producer. They're two countries that are top five for export countries. So Japan loves pork loin. Like they ex they import from the United States a lot of the pork loin that we raise here. Um, I've been in the past on one of these trips to Mexico, which is, was really interesting. And Mexico is a big buyer of U.S. hams. So it's it's I'm excited to go on this. And kind of also the neat thing about it, it's not just a pork venture, but it's um, soybean, corn. Farm Bureau, cattle, kind of barnyard friends. We are going on this um, trip together, and Secretary Nag um, is on the trip as well. So it's it's a great opportunity for us as producers to talk with people who are the end users of our product. We work closely with the U.S. Meat Export Federation, USMEF, and they're helping the state of Iowa to organize this trip and whoever we're going to talk to when we get there. South Korea and Japan have long been the entry points into that market and that region. And I would imagine some there's some long-term relationships that are already established. Um, have you had any contact with anybody in either of those countries before this trip? No, I have not. I know that the USMEF, the Meat Export Federation, they'll have folks on staff who that's their territory, that's their area. So they usually go with us to a lot of these meetings because they have their relationships already established. And when we go, it helps him or her share the story of who's producing, you know, the meat or the corn or the soy or whatever it is that um, Japanese consumers are looking for. Well, can you expand and uh, help fill voids that may come up somewhere else? I mean, is there enough people in Japan and in South Korea that, that want U.S. pork, specifically Iowa pork? You know, that's a great question. And part of this trip is going to be a little bit of a learning experience for me to see. Um, often we'll go to a retail store, you know, just a grocery store to see what does the pork case look like in another country? What does, you know, how is how is it showcased or is it fresh? Is it frozen? Like, what's it look like? I remember in the past when I was at one in Mexico, um, there was U.S. labeling all over the pork area. And so that was just kind of exciting. This pig with red, white, and blue on it. And it was, you know, product of U.S. pork. So, so I'm as much, I'm an, I anticipate learning a lot on this trip as well as like sharing the information that I have for anyone who's interested in, you know, how in the United States we raise pork with the we care principles and, you know, food safety is number one and things like that. One of the things that our market analysts usually bring up, and I kind of lead them to that each week on Market to Market, is talking about the, the China part of this equation. As we have this discussion right now, Trish, uh, they're coming out of COVID. Uh, there's this debate of well, how quickly 
But there seems to be some optimism that China is going to be buying some U.S. pork and probably some Iowa pork. How do you feel about that? Well, I think it's definitely, I love reasons for optimism in our export industry. On any given year in the U.S., we export 25 to 30% of our pork, so it adds a lot of value to you know the price that we receive for our pigs. So whether it's their typical purchase of, of variety meats or they're adding extra, I know they have other cuts as well, but that's one thing that they love to get from the U.S. I, I'm always optimistic. I never want to hang my hat totally on the China export market, but I always appreciate reasons for optimism. Well, and you mentioned, well, we'll go back to Japan and South Korea and Mexico. I mean, you have three great partners there. So there's other markets, I guess it's, uh, would you say hedging your bets uh, of sorts, right? Not putting eggs in all the same basket. Correct. Yes. And there's some other developing markets that they just don't have the population that, you know, the China's of the world do or the Japan, but um, definitely some Central American countries that are definitely increasing their purchases of pork, U.S. pork. So trade is is a topic that's always of interest. Uh in the United States, uh, Iowa producers, national producers are still looking at, and waiting to see what comes out of the, the Supreme Court of the United States when it comes to Prop 12. How often have you discussed that at meetings over the last few years? You know, that has been discussed, obviously, quite regularly, especially up until the oral arguments at the Supreme Court last fall. And now you're right, everyone's just kind of patiently waiting to see when the Supreme Court's going to come out with a, with a ruling. So I've heard any time from mid-February to mid-March. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a top of mind for producers. And when it comes, uh, I'm sure you've discussed scenarios one way or the other and um, on how that could be ruled and, and how, how, what that impact is on producers. You're right, yes. So I guess it's kind of a wait and see with what the what the result's going to be. How is it that Iowa gets to be at the center of, I know that the Prop 12 case specifically is a California case, but how is it that Iowa gets to be the center of the pork industry? Well, our resources that we need to raise pigs could not be better located, right? So we raise corn here, we raise soybean here. And those are the two main inputs of what we feed pigs. So the geographic location of those three things all together in, in the state make it makes a lot of sense to raise pigs here. And there's a lot of pigs raised, and there's always right. a lot of uh, concerns that come from those off the farm about what you're doing on the farm. What do you tell people who are off the farm about what you're doing on the farm when it comes to the hogs? Well, I think... Pig farmers were like kind of the original sustainability story, like sustainability is very popular and with good reason, but pig farmers are not really doing anything different, but we've been sustainable for a long time. So you think about the circle of sustainability with the animals eating the corn and soybeans and the, the manure goes into a contained pit, that manure then gets pumped out as, as organic fertilizer um, onto the crop ground. and People think, oh, wow, do you have way too much manure? But I believe the statistic I saw was there's only 25% of Iowa's farm ground is covered with manure. And that's from all animals, not just from swine. So um, otherwise, people have to buy commercial fertilizers. So 
that, that fertilizer that comes from the animals gets applied to the ground. They grow more corn and soy, which gets fed to the pigs. So the cycle just, it just, it's very efficient and it, it's like a, it's the original sustainability story. In 2022, that value added uh, nature came with the, as the, uh, the hog manure became very valuable as farmers look to find other sources for inputs of fertilizer. Yeah, it sure did. It really, it was crazy what we, we did not have enough manure for all of our acres. So we definitely were in the market for purchasing commercial fertilizer and the price was very high. You yourself, you're, you're saying you, you didn't have enough for your own. Okay. Yep. Uh, and those who did have it uh, were, were happy to answer the phone. Right, yes. <laughs> uh, as inputs come, uh, corn is still at that. You mentioned we have a lot of corn. It's still hovering along a price as an uh, end user is still pretty high. How do you balance both the crop side of the ledger, let's go back to your accounting background, uh, the two sides as you're an end user, but you're also a producer of the crop? Correct. And we don't raise enough. So we're actually purchasers. We buy a lot of corn as well. So yeah, it's just doing a lot of risk management. Um, you know, looking at your input costs and looking at what costs you can get for the products that you're selling and trying to decide what number works for your farm. So it's never ending. And you always have to know, like you, you did, I think you said uh, you did some forecast predicting at your, in your previous life and you're trying to figure out where your price points are for profitability, and you got a pretty sharp pencil there still? Yeah, it has to get sharpened every day, right? <laughs> Sharpen or, or something else happens. Um, you mentioned sustainability. Some of those who, uh, who talk and want to know about sustainability also have concerns about water um, and the quality of it that comes. Uh, I, I can't read an opinion, a letter to the editor section of any newspaper and not see someone during the legislative session ask about water quality. What's the discussion in your board meetings about water quality and, and ways to improve it and, and, and to be good stewards and neighbors? Yeah, we talk a lot with, with um, the Iowa Department of, of Ag and Land Stewardship, and we've done some sponsorship of some grants that they can give out for folks who are using, you know, buffer strips and, um, of course, encouraging people to work doing cover crops and just overall just water quality management. Um, yeah, I, I think the conversations are just things that are just going to continue to work with farmers. And, and sometimes it's just introducing, and this isn't our role as pork, but just if you're you know a row crop farmer, just to look at the different methods that are available now and offered for you know strip till or no-till um, farming is something that will help with water quality. Always a topic that hasn't probably gone away in your time on the board. That's right, yes. Uh, I guess... To me, it doesn't matter, but to others, it does. You're the first woman to be the president of this board. What's that mean to you? Yeah, that's what I hear. Um, you know, to me, it's it's not a big deal. I'm just the person in the role at this point in time. On the national level, I've seen great role models as far as National Pork Board and National Pork Producers Council have both had female presidents, multiple ones in their history. So I think for me, it's just, it's just the timing. I'm the person that's in the role right now now and you know whether i'm a man or a woman my concerns for the pork industry are the same as other pig farmers in the industry i will work with our board with staff and with producers as a team just like on our farm my husband and i work with, as a team along with the, the other folks who help keep our farm running every single day so 
I think, you know, yeah, they say, oh, you're the first one. I'm like, yeah, well, no big deal. It is what yeah. it is. It's just another day until some yeah. goofy reporter starts asking you about it. But see, I see it as I am just amazed at, you know, I've had conversations with women on this podcast before, and um, I think some see it as novelty. It is anything but. I think women are running agriculture right now. It's, you've taken over, I think, right? <laughs> well, I would just say, you know, just to reiterate, generally farms are run as a team, whether it's a husband and wife or a family. I mean, most farms it'd be pretty don't operate just as a solo, you know, job. Um, there's just usually too much to get done. It's not a one-person job. Well, and I so, look back even 20 years ago, 30 years ago, the discussion, you know, it was always there was a very short, narrow discussion of boys are going to do this, girls are going to do that. That's completely out the window now. I, I look at these classes at Iowa State or Oklahoma State or wherever it is, and it's predominantly, the, the male is definitely the minority in, in those discussions. I mean, you are in all sorts of jobs all throughout sales and science and, and farm production and running the farm and crop production, this. And I think it's just made the industry better as a whole. Well, I just think, the more opinions that people have in diverse backgrounds, it really hopefully comes up with better answers and solutions to whatever we might be facing. Yeah. When we have this conversation, or if when you have a conversation with somebody about uh, your role as president in a year from now, what will you hope has been uh, your two or three biggest things you've accomplished? Well, I hope to, that as producers, we've continued to make progress on trade, that we can get some more free trade agreements opened up. I hope we have, you know, as long as a person can dream that we've got some foreign animal disease things, more knowledge, more under our belt. And I won't use the word in control because, you know, I feel like some things are always never really under control, but at least managed, understood and a plan in place. If something happens that we can proceed forward, um, you know, with our exports and things like that. So those are my biggest top of mind thoughts for the year ahead. Well, have fun in the year. Have fun leading those meetings and enjoy the trip to Japan. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be a, quite uh, an experience and uh, opportunity to be with those, all those different trade groups on a common mission to support agriculture. Yeah, I'm really excited about the opportunity and what the people I can meet and what I can learn when I'm there. All right. Trish Cook from the great county of Buchanan County, Iowa in Winthrop. Thank you. Thank you. My thanks to Trish. Hope she has fun in Japan and South Korea. Great opportunities when you get involved in those trade organizations. New episodes each and every week. You can subscribe or follow and be the first to know when an episode drops. Wake up and get your day started on each Tuesday on the MTOM Show podcast. We'll see you next time.